liked and appreciated. It goes something like that. I don't remember it word by word, but just generally the sense of it. It goes like an old Zen monk, Zen master, is walking with his disciple, wandering about. And his disciple is pretty young, and so they are walking together and they are passing by a very old, big, crooked, twisted, bent, and knotted tree. And the young disciple looks at, at the tree and, and he says, Well, this tree is really useless. <laughs> and then he looks at the old monk and he says, It's like you. And the old monk, the Zen master, looks at him and says, Yes, you are right. It's an old, useless tree. But because it is so useless, it had the opportunity to grow to its full extent, to its its full potential. There were lots of other trees around this tree, and they were very useful. And after some time, because they were so useful, they were cut down and used. And I find this quite a good simile. I don't want to say more to that. Just take it in as it is and see what it does do to you, what comes up for you when you reflect on something like that. How come that being not useful can be actually quite beneficial. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) I find it a very good reflection. Because, I mean, I have come across quite often, um, especially from people who don't practice, the question, like, why do you do this? You're just sitting there and watching your neighbor. Nothing happens. You don't do anything. You don't do anything useful. You don't do anything good for the world. And for people who don't practice, they find it very hard to understand why we do what we are doing. And kind of making the shift further into the area that we are exploring for this weekend, which is called mindfulness, that fits very well into this. Because mindfulness is is a quality of mind that is not so obviously colorful, like, like other qualities, like, for example, compassion. Everybody values compassion. It's very obvious. It's very colorful. It's great. It's beneficial. And nobody asks you, why do you practice compassion? Because it's obvious. 
same with kindness or with love. So they are having a different flavor. Mindfulness is pretty pale. Now on the first look at it, it's not quite obvious what kind of quality it actually has. And it is a quality that actually can only be fully experienced or fully valued if you're really working with it yourself. And as I was reading in the morning, it is a quality that is... It is an activity. It's an action that is an activity that is very subtle, not so obvious. If you are practicing mindfulness, nobody else might notice. Only you know. Or some other people who do practice it themselves, they also notice. But people who don't practice it probably don't notice that you're practicing mindfulness. And yet, the development of mindfulness is something that will be beneficial for you on a long term without any question. Because it, you are developing a quality of awareness a quality of mind that nobody ever can take away from you. It's with as more as you develop mindfulness, as more you will see that this goes so deep, this goes in such subtle areas of your existence that when you have established it, when you have a foundation in mindfulness, you can almost cope with everything. And this is why some, sometimes things that are, or qualities that are not so colorful, not so obvious, are actually, in, can be incredibly beneficial. So it's maybe worthwhile exploring it and exploring it a bit more. And we will continue for the next few days, like for the next two days, to go more into the different aspects of it. In, mainly in the meditation practice, but also like in the times that you are here, but you do, like, for example, eating, working, walking. So we, we will see, we will look more into that. What I would like to do now is I would like to look into the aspects that come up while we are practicing that are called the hindrances and how to use mindfulness to notice the hindrances and to overcome them or at least to find ways of working with them. And the hindrances are something that everybody who meditates but also people who don't meditate know quite well. 
But it, I mean, it usually comes up almost, especially in the beginning, quite often. And also later in your practice, you might meet up with them again. Like, they are called, like, the main hindrances are called the, the five hindrances. And they are greed or attraction, aversion, sleepiness, drowsiness, restlessness, and doubt. So these are the five areas. And they are kind of, they are building pairs like attraction and aversion is one pair and sleepiness, drowsiness and restlessness is one pair and then the other one that stands a bit away from it is doubt but that can come into all the other areas too and when the Buddha was teaching how to hold or how to relate to these five hindrances, he was using quite a clear simile, like quite a clear example how to explain the nature of the hindrances. And I do really like this, this example. He was using, like, you have a vessel with clear water, If the mind is free from hindrances, the vessel is really just the clear water. In the vessel there is just the clear water. If the mind is influenced by attraction, sensual desire, anything of this kind, the water is colored. So you can't look through the water to the bottom of the vessel anymore because the water is colored. And that is covering very, it's a very good example for what happens to the mind when there is attraction, sensual desire in the mind. The water gets very colorful. The mind gets very colorful. What the thoughts, the emotions that go through the mind are very enticing, are very mm, interesting. Like they, they allure one to move out of the center, into reaching out into what is attractive. The simile he used for when, the, when there's aversion in the mind, repulsion is... The water in the vessel is boiling. It's like when we have, or when we experience feelings like anger, aversion, rage. I mean, they are very strong, but also lighter ones. For example, like, yeah, maybe rejecting, not wanting to experience something, then the water 
in the vessel starts to boil. And if the water is boiling in the vessel, again, you can't look deep onto the ground of it. So there is an obstruction there. Usually with aversion, the way we are relating to that is we don't want to experience it. If possible, we want to push it away. Don't come closer here. I don't want you. Go away. Um, so that is that is the first pair. And the second pair is sleepiness, drowsiness, the mind, and restlessness. With sleepiness and drowsiness, the simile that Buddha was using is like the water on the vessel is covered with moss. So it's impossible to look even into the water because the water is completely covered with moss or with algae. So you can't look into the water. And I find also this is a very good simile because when we have the hindrance or the obstacle of sleepiness, it feels as if the whole, the whole, the mind is covered with. Sometimes it's the feeling of having cotton wool around you. It can be very pleasant. It can be quite a comfy experience, but there's no clarity in the mind. You you kind of just doze off. And you try again, and you doze off again. And that is, I mean, sometimes this head can have a very obvious reason, because you, as I mentioned yesterday evening already, you just need rest, because you are physically tired, and your body needs rest. Most often, this is not the case. When we experience drowsiness and sleepiness in during our meditation practice, often we touch into something that we are not really willing to experience. The easiest way to turn away from that is to say, oh, I'm too tired, I can't, I can't look in that now. <laughs> and it's a, very, it's a very common, a very how do you say, natural way also from turning away from something that we don't want to experience. Um, the simile for restlessness is like the water is whipped by wind and weather. So the surface of the water is moving so strongly that you can't, even so the water is clear, you can't look into it. You can't look towards the bottom of it. So again, there's an obstacle. It's not possible really to experience the clarity of the water or to see the clarity of the water. Restlessness is quite obvious. The mind is very active. It's not possible at the moment really to calm down. There are too many thoughts too many experiences passing through. So we are getting distracted from 
looking deeper into the experience of the present moment. Like we try again and again, and yet as soon as we try to focus into something, we are getting distracted by thoughts coming in and passing through, emotions coming in and passing through. And often we get the attention gets kind of hijacked by those thoughts, by those emotions, and pull at pull us or pull the attention out of of where the focus was. So there's no focus anymore. It's getting off with this line of thought, for example, or with the line of the experience of the emotion. And then the fifth one is doubt. The simile for doubt that the Buddha used was the water is murky and muddy. It's impossible to look. Uh, it's impossible to experience the clarity of the water. Even so, if the mud and the murkiness is settling down, the water will be clear again. And so the basic nature of the water is clear. It's just there's something in the way for experiencing the clarity of it. And but doubt has the quality of um, how to say that doubt has the quality of um, steering up bringing aspects into your con- like if you try to like doing meditation practice is if you try to focus into one area it for example it could be that you that you think like is this really the right object should i really use anapanasati should i really use the mindfulness of breathing or maybe i should do some metta practice maybe mindfulness of breathing is not the right practice right now for me so i try metta practice and then you do meta practice for a while and you think, hmm, no, I don't think it's the right practice for now. Maybe I should try just looking into a flame. So it's just there's no settledness. Doubt has the quality of questioning everything without allowing you to find a point of rest. And I'm sure all of these qualities you have experienced in ordinary life because they're also part of ordinary life. But I would like to focus a bit more like how this obstacle um, influence our meditation practice. And you can, of course, you will be able to apply them to ordinary life very easily. I think especially doubt, and I go backwards now, I think especially doubt is something that is a very common experience to, I would say, probably everybody here in the room. Because it is, how to say, we, while we are growing up, we learn to use the mind in a way that we are questioning. 
we are questioning our experience, which has there's a, a quality to it which is undeniable. It's a good quality. Like because we learn to discern, we learn to distinguish between this and that. But often we bring it to a point where we lose the focus, where we lose priorities, where we don't anymore know what is important right now and what is beneficial for us right now. Applying that to the meditation practice is when you start with one practice, whatever comes up in the beginning of your sitting, in the begin, begin of the walking practice, determine and really stay with that in what way you want to practice. And whatever you decide, you do. Even so, doubt is coming in and saying, oh, maybe not the right thing. Then if that comes up, you say to yourself, okay, then I'm practicing right now with not quite the right thing. And I just experience how that feels. It is like doubt is very undermining. It's something that is taking your ground away if you give into it. On the other hand, doubt brings into the practice also the, uh, the opportunity to develop wisdom. But by being able to do so, you have at first to penetrate the fully the experience of doubt. You have to penetrate that part of the mind that is not quite sure, that does not quite know. And allowing it into consciousness, allowing it fully into the awareness of your experience right now. If you if that comes up and you are actually able to say fully yes to that, yes, I don't know. And yet this is what it is right now. And basically it doesn't really matter. Doubt will just disappear, dissipate. And if not, then we just include it into as part of our practice. Restlessness has the quality of very, a lot of movement, a lot of fluctuation in the mind. 
there's like usually when you experience restlessness you have probably also the longing just for a quiet point for calmness but calmness is not present right now because it could be because you are experiencing quite some difficulties in your life and your mind is busy kind of working that out. The antidote for restlessness again is turning awareness towards it and really recognizing it for what it is. Noticing the mind is very busy or there are lots of thoughts, maybe lots of worries, lots of... mm, or maybe also lots of different kind of emotions going through this moment or you experiencing this in this moment. And that makes it almost... you, You could have the feeling that makes it impossible really to stay with the object because you get distracted again any time you try to focus into the object you you get or the attention and the awareness gets pulled away from it and it is helpful and it might be necessary if that is like for example if the same train of thoughts comes again and again really to look into what is underneath that. Like if the same or you could also say the same tape of thoughts is running uh, starting and running through and starting and running through and it repeats itself again and again. This is usually a very good example for restlessness. I think to interrupt that or to um, how do you say to stop that you would need really to look into what is underneath this way of thinking what is there that I haven't really fully understood that this loop is happening that this train of thoughts comes up again and again it could be that there is something you have been avoiding to really fully bring up into your awareness and to, for example, a certain kind of feeling. It could be that you don't want to feel, you don't want to admit that there is anger or maybe sadness could also be one of the reasons. So in order not to feel that, you go into a lot of thinking, a lot of reasoning around it. It is like that because of that, and because of that it is like this. You probably know that. Like, For example, it could be like that you are going very much into righteousness, like you had a difficult situation with somebody else. You feel hurt. You don't really want to feel 
that the pain that comes with that, the unpleasantness that comes with that. So it feels better to experience yourself not as the victim and in order not to feel as a victim or to feel the pain that it brings, the difficulty it brings, it is easier to be angry because you feel stronger when you are angry. But on the same, at the same time, you don't quite want to admit that you are angry because it's not very attractive to be angry. So this is how, how this can build up. And while through those denials the mind gets into a very agitated state and brings up all these different emotions and different thoughts. And with that being present, there's no chance to focus, to calm down. So you can't kind of say, okay, I'm cutting this off, I don't want that, and I just focus now. It will be impossible. If there are too much how do you say, if there are too much emotions present, you won't be able to focus. What you have to do is you really have to be willing to deal with those emotions, with those experiences that you haven't paid attention to. And it is quite possible that during this retreat or during other times of practice, things might come up that you thought were already completely gone, not an issue anymore. That might have happened even in your childhood or ten years ago, five years ago, and suddenly a, a door inside opens and there it is, and you have to relate to it. This is, and this is one of, actually, even so it doesn't feel like, it is one of the good qualities of meditation practice that you actually have the chance to work with those aspects of yourself that are not freed, that are blocked, that are locked up quite deeply. Often physically, they often have (coughs) a manifestation in some parts of the body and you might really experience suddenly while you are sitting that you say you have a tension in your stomach and you focus with your awareness into that and you suddenly there comes a whole wave of thoughts and emotions out and you and you will know the theme of it the theme comes with it and then you turn your awareness really fully towards it and you look what it is that you have been dismissing. So don't be surprised if something like that happens. This is quite common and it's actually a sign that the practice works. It's not something that should not be happening. I mean, it's, of course it is very beautiful if you have a retreat without interruptions, only very pure focus, pure awareness, no hindrances coming up. But I personally have never had a retreat (laughs) that was in that way. And I really do appreciate the opportunity to 
and I'm using Buddhist terms now, to work with the karma that is not resolved. This is what this kind of experience is about. So, restlessness as well as sleepiness can can be a sign for this, that that something is coming up in the field of awareness that is quite unpleasant and that I don't want to quite acknowledge. Like, the way of of restlessness dealing with that is, as I mean, as it is obvious, is different than sleepiness or drowsiness. But it might be the same reason. It might be the same source. At one time, we relate towards it with restlessness. And at another time, we might relate to it with drowsiness or sleepiness. Like the mind, like when we have the drowsiness or sleepiness, as I said before, like the mind is kind of covered or filled out with a, almost like a thick cloud could also be described in that way. And it's not quite possible to touch the object that we have been choosing for our practice. It's not like if we used breathing, it's not quite possible to stay with the breathing. It's just like as if the object is covered by a mist that seems to be impossible to penetrate. And again, to work with is the first step is really to recognize and to acknowledge what is present. And again, like with with drowsiness, you might for a while you might not even really recognize that that there is drowsiness, that there is sleepiness in the mind. Because it can be as I said before, it can be quite a pleasant feeling. It can be actually quite how do you say warm and cozy and woolly and you feel quite pleasant but the mind is not clear the mind is not bright there's a there's like yeah I think the the simile of a mist it fits best into it there's a thick mist in the mind and even so you feel very well very cozy there's there's this unclarity so it's and it is important to notice because when there is the mind is really bright and clear there is a similar quality there there's also the quality of well-being of really feeling well but with the wellness is the brightness and the clarity of mind and this is how you can distinguish. Like if you experience this really cozy, warm feeling, have a look, turn your awareness towards, like, is there really clarity in the mind? That, do I feel bright? Do I feel awake? And if that is not the case, if it is kind of not quite clear but very nice, <laughs> then that is the sign. This is a hindrance. 
this is not what we are aiming for in the meditation. And sometimes even it can go so far that we start nodding without even noticing that we do that. And often that happens like after we had a meal or breakfast. So the first sitting after a meal, often this hindrance comes up. And don't be distraught by it. It's just a natural reaction of the body. Like in that case, the blood just moves from the brain into the stomach. and There's more energy, more blood circulating in the stomach than through the brain. And again, like if you have a strong sense of sleepiness, of drowsiness, it can, as I said before, like this morning, I guess it was, it helps sometimes just to open your eyes and to look upwards, to like whether look towards the ceiling or just half up the ceiling and just lift up your gaze. Or if the sleepiness is very strong, stand up and do a little bit of standing meditation for a while, for a few minutes, until you feel like the energy is rising up again. Usually standing meditation is very helpful for against sleepiness. And while, if you experience that while you are here at any time, feel free to stand up to do that. We might even, maybe tomorrow, we might just practice with it, like after the meal, just so you can get an experience of the difference that it makes, because it's quite amazing. Um, So the antidote of Sleepiness is bringing, raising the energy. Usually, right effort in regards to sleepiness is making, bringing more effort into the practice. (laughs) And that you could do that also by breathing, using the breathing and breathing a little bit more energetically. So not just letting the breathing calm down more and more and more and more until you really fall asleep. You do the opposite. You breathe a bit more intentionally, a bit more intensely. And coming back to restlessness you might notice when you're very restless that your breathing is going quite intensely and you can use the breath for calming the mind by just doing long using longer breath and when you breathe out consciously let go just really we consciously relax the body and especially the outpress can be very helpful for that. Coming to the last or the first pair, which is attraction and aversion. To notice notice attraction I mean for me how I'm working with it is I'm 
I notice that the movement of the mind is towards, away from the center, towards the object. Often with attraction, and that is different than with aversion, it is quite hard to let go of it because it is so pleasant. It's such a nice experience. So we have to... It's a renunciation, actually. It's a renunciation practice not to follow that which is attractive, that what is enticing and interesting often. So how we can relate to that is really noticing the impulse, noticing when the mind moves outwards towards the object, like noticing actually uh, that is that it is not even really the object, but what we like so much is the feeling that it brings. It's the experience, the pleasantness of the experience. It's not about the object, but it's about the pleasantness of experience that we would like to have, that we would like to be with. So we are longing for something nice, something pleasant, and we find it out there. Or we think we find it out there. And we might do for a period of time, and then it fades. I mean, I'm sure you all have experienced that, like, I don't even want to bring this the simile of a child. Like, now, you have, like, say, you really would like, okay, I bring a very gross example now. You really would like a new car, and it's out there, and it's really something you would like, and you would like that, or you like that since quite a while, and you save money, and you work hard to get it, and finally the moment comes, you get your car, exactly the car you wanted, perfect, everything fine, everything all right with it. So you have your car for a while, and the experience fades. Suddenly the car is not so important anymore, Maybe it is important for a while, maybe for a few weeks, maybe even for a few years, but then also that fades and there comes something else up. And whatever it is, it is not lasting. That that satisfaction that comes with getting what we want is usually quite fleeting. And sometimes it is like, We really want something and we want it for weeks and it is there and with the moment that we are getting it the longing completely dissipates. It's gone. We are not interested even anymore because 
the desire is fulfilled, satisfied. Okay, what is the next? And how our life is nowadays, this becomes more and more fleeting, like the movement from one desirable object to the next gets faster and faster. And our whole society is built up around that, that we, do, that we try to satisfy as many desires as possible. But it is not helpful. And it is a big illusion because we can spend our whole life moving from one object to the next and never really feeling deeply satisfied. And you might, if something like that, if you experience in your meditation practice that sensual desire or desire at all is coming up for whatever, really very consciously work with that. Notice how the mind is reaching out towards the object, wanting to hold the object, wanting be with, to be with that object of desire. And then consciously, slowly withdraw the attention from it and turn it back towards your former focus and see what happens. You might experience the difficulty of withdrawing from it. And when you don't feed that feeling, that experience of mind, you might experience quite a deep peacefulness. And I would like tomorrow in the practice to work with you with this kind of feeling of attraction and aversion because it's actually quite easy to approach that because it usually comes up almost in every sitting. So we, we will look into that and we will see how we can approach it, how we can actually turn the attention away from it. But one very important aspect is, and keep that in mind, and really don't just believe my words, really investigate yourself. Look what is so attractive here. Is it really out there, or is it the pleasantness of the experience? And find out yourself. Very similar in regards to aversion. The movement is different. It is something that we would like to avoid. Something that we would rather not experience. And again, what we don't want to experience is not the object out there, but the taste, the flavor of the experience in here. Aversion or even stronger, like, say, anger, is a very unpleasant, almost a painful experience. 
Like if you really look into that, it is a very, a very raw experience. Like often, it could be like in your stomach, and you feel you feel tension, you feel even sometimes pain in your stomach, or it can be always sadness. It could be around your heart. You feel very, very sensitive, very vulnerable, and it's. It's a difficult experience. It's something that one really does not long for, and yet it is part of our life, of experiencing life to its full extent, and really turning the awareness away from the object towards the experience of it, and especially with unpleasant experiences really or unpleasant emotions really look where do they manifest in the body how is the physical experience of that so don't go into the storyline of it like the thoughts of whatever comes with it don't go, turn away, turn your awareness away from the thoughts towards the physical experience of it. Usually, the physical experience for a little while can be quite unpleasant. But make the space for it. And really, and really, if you consciously make the space for it, the experience is not so difficult after all it is more difficult it it takes much more energy not wanting to feel something than embracing and welcoming that what is difficult and it will be difficult for a while but not forever it is just something else that is passing through and if we allow it to pass through we don't hold on to it it also will disappear, it will cease. And it will cease much faster if we don't try to avoid it, if we don't hang on to it with aversion, then when we just allow it to pass through, to be there, to have its time, and then to disappear. I think this is enough words around the hindrances right now. I think it's now up to us to really work with it. If you have tomorrow doing your practice, or if you want to continue sitting a bit, if you have, if questions are coming up for you, how to how to relate to the different aspects of it, please feel free to to ask. We definitely will make time for looking into it and the main tool of working with these hindrances is really mindfulness sati but another aspect is also 
what is called Sati Sampajanya, mindfulness with clear comprehension. The clear comprehension that comes into it is allowing us to see the context where something arises in, to see the field that is around an experience, to see the conditions that are around an experience. And it can be simple as um, washing your hands. You, you are with, you are aware of what you are doing, but you are also aware that you are, for example, that you are standing in the kitchen on the sink and your family members are around in the background and one of your children is calling you. It's a very simple example for, for Sati Sampachanya. So you take in, you see the context of where you are, where you are, where you are in right now. You are aware, mindful with what is happening and you see the whole picture of it. And I think this is enough talking for today. I do leave you to continue practicing or go for a little walk or go and rest, whatever feels the right thing to do right now. And we do meet again at quarter to seven tomorrow. I think we are stopping. Thank you very much. <laughs>